0: Hello, and welcome back to the Whatcom Dads Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things being a dad, with some Whatcom County recommendations thrown in. I'm Nathan Dwyer. I'm Mark Bagley.
1: And I'm Chris Roselli. This week, we continue our focus on college by interviewing Monica Matthews, the author of the book, How to Win College Scholarships. We discuss our kids' dating, both when they have playdates as a child, and when they get a boyfriend or girlfriend when they get older. And we recommend board games and card games that we like to play with our kids.
0: Hey guys, good to see you.
1: Good seeing you. It is great to see you, Nathan Dwyer. Mark, it's pretty good to see
2: you too. Yeah, it's okay.
0: So I think the last 10 days or so can be best summed up by this tweet that my wife shared with me. And I've also heard a few other people share it. It goes something like this. Dear 2021, I'd like to cancel my free subscription after the seven day trial. Please don't charge my credit card. (laughs) We thought 2021 was going to get better, but here's what happened folks. Uh, COVID cases have spiked here in Whatcom County. Obviously the events at the U S Capitol, Tommy Lasorda dies,
2: Oh, yeah! and the,
0: the Seahawks lay a total egg and get bounced from the playoffs. So how's your 2021 going?
1: Well, and to top it all off, I don't know about the two of you, but uh, I'm not drinking. We're doing the Whole30 diet, so we are not drinking. We're not having sugar or any of that. So there's no fun in the Roselli house right now at all. So
2: that just makes it all even even better. So I guess all the things that are happening – are appropriate for the Roselli house. Since there's no fun happening in the Roselli house, everything happening is like right in line with how you guys are living right now. Yeah. If we can't have fun, nobody else can have fun. I like it. Right.
1: Yeah. And I'm sorry to hear about uh, Tommy Lasorda, Mark. I know you are a massive Dodger fan. I'm sure that uh, hit you guys pretty hard.
2: Yeah. Uh, and Annette worked for the Dodgers for five years and she spent a lot of time with Tommy and his wife, Joe. So she knew him quite well. And it was uh, pretty sad. It was fun hearing her talk to some of her former co-workers at the Dodgers, just telling stories and laughing and remembering him.
0: So I thought we should talk a little bit about how to talk to your kids about scary things they might either see on the news or hear you talking about. And uh, I bounced this off you guys and I shared with you, there's a podcast by NPR called NPR Life Kit Parenting. And they did an episode about what to tell your kids when the news is scary. And then, Mark, I know you found a, an article uh, on CNN about talking to kids about the capital violence. So um, any thoughts on the best way to broach these unpleasantries in the news with kids, both young and old?
2: I think that for young kids, you need to limit the exposure. Because you can just get sucked in. I, I know. On Wednesday, I spent probably four or five hours in front of the TV. Just I don't know why. It, it was over and done. I just it was just so flabbergasted by it all. But for a little brain and a developing mind, over saturation cannot be good. So I think you really got to be very conscientious of that.
1: Yeah, I agree, Mark. We, I mean, in our household, we we never watch the news. We don't have the news on. It's just it's super sensational. Um, It really highlights, we feel like, a disproportional amount of the bad that's in the world. And we want our kids to feel good about what's going on in the world. And um, as you said, you got sort of addicted watching what was happening. And um, later that night, we had a conversation with our girls about it. And we put up uh, on YouTube just some of the, the videos that had been rotating throughout the news throughout the day. And Alyssa, our 11-year-old, had the remote control. And it was really interesting to sort of sit back and watch her read the headlines and click on each of the videos and kind of go deeper and deeper down this wormhole of wanting to see something perhaps more horrific than what we had seen before. It created a nice opportunity for us to be able to have a conversation with them about what they actually see and perhaps what really happened.
0: Yeah, it's an opportunity then to talk about other tough subjects. It might sort of serve as a gateway into, all right, if we're going to talk about this complicated and unfortunate thing, uh, we might as well be talking about these other things.
1: Yeah. And I also think on difficult topics, uh, we learned this when my mom died seven years ago. Uh We overthought it, you know, kids are much more resilient than I think we as adults give them credit for. I was talking to Amy about this today. Um, And I think we can be really upfront and factual with them without having to go into unnecessary detail. Um, If we can just say what happened, we can talk with them about the significance about it, reassure them that we're safe, of course, and then talk about what it means for tomorrow. And usually kids are, oh, okay. And then you can kind of go from there.
2: The thing that's interesting, though, I think for the two of you in particular, that was different than when I was younger and um, watching things on TV, is that the kids today, they can go to their room at night when it's time for bed and just pop on their phone or their iPad and do a lot of searching and digging and seeing things that... They're not watching with their parents. I remember yeah. the first time I really remember the wall to wall coverage was when I was living in LA in uh, 91 when the Rodney King um, verdict came out in the LA riots. And I c- couldn't get enough. I would just, this, this is my city was, you know, burning and it was really intense. But when I turned the TV off, there wasn't an opportunity to get that information any other way. Today, you turn the TV off and there's a lot of
1: information other ways still too. coming.
2: At kids. So yeah. I think that the parents need to be really cognizant of that because, you know, Ben got most of his news about the capital situation from Twitter, which that's how he does it. We didn't, we got it all from TV. So it just, anyway, I think just we need to be aware that it's it's coming at kids in so many different ways now.
0: And to follow up, Chris, on what you said about when your mom died, you know, I think being direct and being factual is helpful to kids. We might resist the urge to try and soften it for them, but if people die or if people are hurt, I think they need to know that. But the podcast, the NPR one said, just make sure you put things in context. So does my five-year-old know that the DC Capitol is thousands of miles away or does he think it's down the street? So making sure right. that you say this is a lo- far away, you can show them on a map, you can appeal to their logic that you're not in danger. This is something we're watching far away. And the other thing is to try and uh, you know, tell your kid how you're feeling and sort of model that this is how I'm dealing with it. So that way, as they develop, they're going to have seen ways that their parents have dealt with it, hopefully in a healthy
1: and not unhealthy way. And also, uh, I don't know if we've already talked about this Um Amy and I were talking earlier, and I know something that she is really good at, and uh, she does this as a teacher as well, is to simply just ask the kids, "Hey, what have you heard? did you did you hear about anything happening today? And a lot of times that can really open the conversation and then allows us to be able to sort of um, help fill in the blanks, maybe do some fact checking because certainly what as they get older, what they hear from their peers very well could be very different than what is really actually happening.
0: One other thing the resources, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, said was if you're talking to your young kids about this, don't focus on bad people. Focus on bad choices or bad actions. It's really how you frame it for your kids more than anything. So to sum up, uh, you can control the amount of information your kids have access to, both turning the TV off or monitoring their devices. You can ask them what they know. You can help put things in context for them. You can avoid giving them easy or simplified answers, and you can focus on the helpers. And that will be partway to helping them deal with scary things when they hear about them or see them on the news.
1: Robinson and Cole Attorneys is proud to be a sponsor of the Whatcom Dads podcast. Located in downtown Bellingham, Robinson and Cole has been representing the injured and disabled of Whatcom County since 1979. If you or someone you know has been injured in an auto accident or suffered an on-the-job injury, call Robinson and Cole to schedule a free, no-obligation video consult with one of their five attorneys. Their attorneys have over 100 years of experience litigating cases against insurance companies and the Department of Labor and Industries. Call 360-671-8112 to schedule an appointment.
2: So tonight our guest is Monica Matthews. Monica is the founder, CEO, CFO, chief marketing officer, Chief researcher, (laughs) she does it all for how to win scholarships. Uh, It's a, a website. She also has a fourth edition book which helps parents and their children understand that scholarships are available for colleges and tips and tricks for how to apply for those scholarships to win lots of dollars for your kids. And Monica, I know you started this when your son was getting ready to go to the University of Michigan. And you realized that you needed a little bit, um, needed to find some resources to help pay for college. Tell us a little bit about um, some successes that you and he had, and then that, how, how that propelled you into what you do today.
3: Yeah, sure. Okay. So first of all, thanks for having me, guys. This is great. I listened to you one of your episodes um, a while back and was really, really impressed. So you guys are doing a great job. So, but anyways, University of Michigan, well, before that, um, before he even decided on Michigan. So let's let's go back in time a little bit now. Go back to 2008, because that's when my oldest son was a senior in high school. He was between his junior and senior year. He graduated in 2009. And that summer, between his junior and senior year, he was looking at colleges, getting excited, coming to me, telling me, hey, mom, this one costs this much a year. And the first one he brought to me was MIT in Boston. And back then it was 60 grand a year and it's probably a lot more now. And literally my husband and I, we have three kids. It just, we never saved for our kids' college education. We were living paycheck to paycheck. I was a teacher, but I was trying to stay home to raise our kids. So it just caught up with us. So I kind of figured, well, he's a smart kid. He can win scholarships, right? So I told him like any good mom go ahead and apply for scholarships. You know, we'll be fine. Well, he applied for two very early deadline scholarships and we found out pretty quickly he didn't win them. And so I started thinking, oh no, if scholarships aren't going to come through for us, what are we going to do? I did not want him to have a ton of loans, student loans. I had a ton of student loans. I did not want that for my kids. So I started thinking there must be a better way. There must be a way to kind of get inside the minds of the judges and figure out what they are looking for in their winners. So I did a ton of research and we kind of came up with this method to where I would find the scholarships, he would write the essays. I learned from reading as much as I could and doing all this research, what judges look for, what organizations like in their applicants, how to submit a very strong application. So I I started making all these notes and we developed kind of this system. So fast forward about six months, he was winning and winning and winning and had won so many scholarships that we didn't have to pay anything for college. And when he graduated from high school, my friend said, you need to write down what you did because we don't know what we're doing. And you know, as much as I love our guidance counselors at our high school, just a regular public high school, they didn't have the time to sit down with each of the kids or have scholarship workshops or help out the kids with the funding part of college it was more towards we'll write your letters of recommendation do what we need on that end so anyways i did write it down and i published it in 2009 it's an ebook, and people say why don't you have a physical book well it's because i can update it i can update it and republish it myself so i republished it again in 2020 i just went through the whole process again with my third son with my baby who's 19 and graduated in 2019. And so I completely revamped it and things had changed and all three of my boys won a ton of scholarships.
2: So Monica, you're talking about scholarships that are not university related. These are scholarships that are provided by either service organizations or private foundations or community groups, right? Well,
3: it's kind of a a mixture of both because when you're looking at colleges, you should really look at what merit scholarships they give out for student stats their ACT scores SAT grade point average a lot of schools will give um, automatic scholarships guaranteed merit scholarships just for getting in so you really want to concentrate on both but mostly yes it's all the outside private scholarships but then if you look on the college websites there are all these other external all these other scholarships that accepted students can apply for and Some of them are, you're automatically applied when you apply for admission, but lots of them, you have to find the application on the website. You have to fill it out, write the essay and send it in completely separate from your admissions.
0: So would the approach differ if you were applying for something at an institution versus something that was from a local or national organization?
3: Well, no, not really, because you know what? You want to put your best foot forward. You want to learn how to write a very standout essay that gets the attention of the judges, You need to fill out an application in the right way. You need to make sure you qualify. All those different things for every scholarship, it's it's pretty much the same. Their qualifications may be a little bit different, but the way you approach it needs to be the same.
1: So as parents and students are trying to navigate this process, in your experience of working with them, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see students and parents making as they're seeking out scholarships?
3: Well, I think the first one would be that they assume they're not going to win any. They assume that they make too much money. Um, you know, By the way, there are scholarships out there for photography, for kids who are good at creative writing. There are scholarships that don't even ask the ACT score or the SAT score or your grade point average. They assume they won't win, and so they want to take the easy way out with loans. So that's one really, really big mistake. The other big mistake, I think, is letting kids go at it alone. I mean, I kind of um, correlate it with or compare it to, you know, you teach your teens how to drive a car. You don't just hand them the keys and say, go ahead and drive. We would never do that, right? So, and I made the mistake early on when I said to my own son, apply for scholarships. There was no, he was just alone in the process. And he was busy, like all of our high school kids are, with sports and academics and clubs and all these things he was involved in. And he had a part time job also. So I what I like to do is partner with my students, I, with my boys. I partnered with all three of them. We had expectations. I would edit, you know, go through their their essays to make sure that they didn't have a lot of typos or that it made sense to me or that they answered the prompt. That is a really big mistake is the kids will go off on a tangent and they won't even answer the essay question. A tip that I like to do is have a student find somebody else to two sets of trusted eyes is what I like to say you need to have two sets of trusted eyes read your work have somebody read your essay but don't tell them the prompt or the question have them read it and then ask them what was the prompt what was the question mm-hmm. if they can tell you what it was you've answered the question and also watch their facial expressions while they're reading are they looking really bored are they you know smiling are they looking surprised are they like nodding All those things, you need to capture the attention of the judges. You know, I have a scholarship that I started, I think it's been seven years now, where kids actually send me their applications and they try to win my scholarship. And so I've read a lot of essays. I had 610 applications last year. So it was, yeah, it was a record number, but that is a lot of essays. And let me tell you, 90% started with the same sentence. They spit back the prompt. And it was very boring. And so one of the things I teach in my scholarship guide, my ebook, is you need to start with the hook. You need to start with something that's eye-opening, that's different, that just kind of makes the judge sit up and think, hmm, this is interesting. I want to read this one. A personal story. You know, instead of I want to help people, talk about how you got up in the morning on Saturday mornings and and went to your local children's hospital and read to these kids because you wanted to be a nurse someday or something in, in your field. So that, those are some mistakes people may make. They don't do any research before they tell their kids to go ahead and apply for scholarships.
0: What's the most interesting or unique scholarship that you've uncovered?
3: Well, there's one um, that students, they have to uh, make fashion or make a dress with duct tape. And it is a duct tape stuck at prom scholarship. And that is actually this. There's no essay they They make this duck, this dress out of duct tape, and they take a picture of it and they send it in. That's pretty strange, but you know there's no GPA required, no s a t score it's their fashion sense and how creative they are.
1: You just got to spend a thousand dollars on duct tape to make a dress <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's not cheap, is it
2: <laughs> so Monica, as you know, the three of us have kids ranging in age from two to twenty four. Chris is the closest to scholarship age with his daughters. Oh, God. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Is it ever too early to start thinking about scholarships? Or is it ever, on on the other hand, is it ever too late to start thinking about scholarships?
3: Right. Well, when people ask me, when do we start with scholarships? My answer is always start where you are right now. If somebody is listening and they have a high school senior or a college student, start right now. My college, he's a sophomore. So a few months into his um, sophomore year, a few months ago, he won a $10,000 scholarship. It's renewable for four years, it's 2,500 a year. So he can use it if he needs a fifth year school. But people assume once they get into college, they can't win scholarships anymore. But anyways, for younger kids, it's what I call scholarship prep. There are so many things you can do together. Volunteer as a family. And I'm not talking about, you know, 20 different organizations. Pick one or two. Long-term volunteering, it's amazing. You're going to make connections. Those people will know your kids. And when your kids are ready to apply for scholarships when they're in high school and they ask for a letter of recommendation, they're going to get the best letter ever because they've you, these people have seen your kids grow up. They've seen the commitment, the long-term. So that scholarship prep, you know, scholarship prep is also just taking challenging classes in high school. Know what classes to pick. Encourage your kids good grades, you know, have them try to stay up three, five and above because a lot of those merit scholarships, that's what you're going to need. You know, when you go on vacation, drive through college towns and just get excited about college.
1: Monica, for your sons who've graduated with no debt, which is really quite a feat. um, How much time do you think that they or, of course, all of you as a family spent on filling out scholarship applications to, to be able to accomplish that?
3: You know, I'm not even really sure how much time. It was a lot of time.
1: Sure.
3: Um, it was. I mean, we would have, even if they were really busy, I would say, you know what, can you just spend 15 minutes working on this essay? 15 minutes. And, you know, with teenagers, they can do 15 minutes. You got to kind of get in there How or, you know, send them a text. You know, can we on Saturday at, you know, two o'clock after you slept until 1 30, can we work <laughs> on scholarships for half an hour? You right. know, kind of schedule it. So it's just as much time as you want to put into it. But it's, I mean, my oldest son, he's 29 now. Uh, they're expecting their first baby. He's married for three years. So I'm going to be a grandma for the first time. Woohoo! And Congrats. I, yeah, but he he lives in Kirkland, Washington, and they bought a house. I mean, him and his wife bought a house, and him not having any debt. Is huge. Now he laughed because his wife had had student debt. But it's just it's such to me, it's such a gift to get give your kids right now because scholarships are out there, but you do have to put in the work. But you know what? Either go out and do your own research like I did, or pick up my scholarship guide because all the work is done for you. But you know, that's all the work with learning what to do. You still need to do the work as far as finding the scholarships. I teach you how to do it. You still need to get your students to write the essays. I teach you ways to motivate them,
1: this and that back and forth, so. Well, and I would assume that the process might get easier once the ball is rolling. They know their content. They know what their strengths are. They know their, their achievements. I'm sure that you can copy and paste a variety of different, similar essays, just making sure they're changing right exactly.
3: Content. and I love yeah, I love that question because it does get easier. you have a scholarship and activity resume that you have ready to attach. but there are basically three questions that come up all the time in scholarships and we would cut and paste and just make sure you know you put the right name of the scholarship in. and if it say one was six hundred words, this one needs to be five hundred words so you adjust. but the three questions are, why do you deserve this scholarship? Uh, what have you done to help your community? Uh, and what are your educational goals? Those three right there. And if you can have three really good, interesting essays written for those three prompts, you can use those over and over for different scholarships.
1: Monica, some people feel that applying for scholarships and, and some, I think, for college, that matter, feel that it's more of a writing contest than it is actually a content contest about where where the best writer is actually the one who wins and not necessarily the best student would you agree with that or disagree what are your thoughts
3: well my thoughts are that not all scholarships have essays Mm. I mean some are like I mentioned before photography Um, they can make a video for two minutes and and submit that all the you know like the duct tape you know fashion the creative scholarships so, if you're looking at it that way, no, not really. I mean, if you could be a horrible writer, but you can make an amazing dress out of duct tape. So, you know, and then there's also you can get help with your essays. I mean, kids, you know, I don't really advertise this, but people who buy my scholarship guide, they can send me that. The kids send me their essays, and they ask for an essay review, and I will do it. And I will tell them, you know what, you, you're what's your what's your prompt because you're you started out really boring. I mean, I will tell the kids. You know, you need to start with something really exciting. And so getting a little bit of coaching, you know, it's kind of like some parents pay for ACT prep or you go to the Khan Academy online, that's free to do better, to make yourself better, to get you give your better chance. Same thing with scholarships, you do a little background research, little tutoring, and you'll be a better applicant. Absolutely.
2: So, um, Monica, before we ask you to share how to find you and your website and your book, um, can you maybe give us one more little tip, maybe one more little tease? And then, of course, tell us how maybe one of our listeners' kids can apply for your scholarship.
3: Just like when you're applying for a job, the, the person, the employer, kind of looks over your resume like for 30 seconds first. They scan it to see what's there. Scholarship judges do the same thing. The first 30 seconds are the most important. So if you can make your first 30 seconds the most impressive, you are one step ahead. You know, they need to disqualify before they can qualify yeah. because some of these organizations have thousands of applications and they need to say, oh, sorry, they're, you know, they're only 15. They, they don't qualify. They're not a sophomore or whatever. They don't qualify. Their parents make too much. They make too little. They're not whatever. They don't qualify. So that first 30 seconds, you pretty much have need to have all your ducks in a row, so to speak. All your materials are in a proper order if it's mailed in. Everything's filled out. There are no blank boxes. And if there's a box on the application you're not sure what to put, figure something out to put in there. Don't ever leave a blank box. You know, even tell a little story in the box. It's okay. You can build a website and put the website link in there so they can find out more about you. There are so many things you can do. And this is what I teach in my scholarship guide. It's all the over and above things. And that's what I teach. I teach kids how to do their very very best, go the extra mile and avoid student debt. So that's what I'm all about because I just it's it's crazy. I call it having a a house payment with no house. These kids are graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, paying for a house payment but they don't have a place to live. So scholarships are out there and I want to help you I want to help people find them and win them. It's what I do. It's what I love.
2: So how do we apply for your scholarship?
3: Oh, so my scholarship is called the Saver Summer College Scholarship. My prompt is, how are you going to spend your summer vacation? And if you go to my website it, 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 and, and you go to the page for my scholarship, it's all about kids love summer. They love being in the sun, going to the beach, because, you know, growing up in Southern California, that's love too. And I want to know, what are you doing in the summer? So you can find it. My website is how with the number two winscholarships.com. So how two winscholarships.com. If you go up to the top, there's a menu, click down where it says scholarships, you'll find my scholarship, the Saver Summer College Scholarship. Um, it's $500. It's not a huge amount, but you know, the little awards really add up. And it's another tip. Some kids might say, oh, it's not worth it. I want a $10,000 scholarship. Oh, well, you know what? There might be 20,000 kids applying for a $10,000 scholarship. And you know, 500 kids applying for a smaller one. So you kind of do the math and look at your odds. Those big scholarships are wonderful to win, but a whole bunch of little ones are just as good.
2: And then on your website, Monica, at howtowinscholarships.com, they can also purchase your ebook. Is that correct?
3: Yes, yes. My ebook's on there. I have a scholarship blog where I share. There's a ton of free information on there. So if you just want to go click around, go for it. It's um, I have a scholarship blog. I have scholarships listed. I have all kinds of scholarship info on there.
0: Well, Monica, this has been outstanding. Thank you so much for the information. I checked out the website that's how to the number two win scholarships. And I looked at the price of the ebook and it's less than going out to dinner with your kids. So it seems like it would be a worthwhile investment. Uh, and I presume people can reach out to you and contact you through the website.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I have contact information on there. I also have a Facebook page. Um, If you Google Monica Matthews and scholarships, you'll find me. So yeah, I I answer all my emails and um, you can even call me.
0: Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Monica. You're
3: welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks,
1: Monica. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Mount Bakery Cafe. Mount Bakery has two locations in Bellingham to serve hungry dads and their families. They have something for everyone from hot breakfasts to grab and go goods to a variety of breakfast cocktails. Delicious. For my family, I love the classic breakfast with scrambled eggs and bacon. Amy loves their tomato Benedict and Lexi loves their strawberry chocolate crepe. And Alyssa loves their chocolate chip cookies. During the current COVID restrictions, you can enjoy their full menu with heated outdoor seating downtown, or you can visit them in Fairhaven for grab-and-go pastries, quiche, soup, and delicious drinks. Check them out at mountbakery.com.
0: Guys, wasn't Monica great?
1: Oh, man. That was really, really useful information.
0: So, Mark, you work in uh, development, and you deal a lot with scholarship donors and recipients. Anything you wanted to add on that topic?
2: A a couple things, yeah. Uh, Number one, people are very generous, and people do want to help college students succeed. They want to help them reach their goals, and there are definitely dollars available. I know I was able to go to college because of scholarships, Both Ben and Allie received very generous scholarships, and the best part of my job in working in development is being able to meet these philanthropists who really do want to make a difference. Whether it's a $1,000 scholarship or a million-dollar endowment, their hearts are in an amazing place to want to help young people get a college education, and so um, students, go for it. The money is there, and these people really do want to help you.
1: I was on a lot of loans. Um, One thing that Monica did not say is really working closely with the financial aid office of the college can be really beneficial for me. um, There was one time where I did not have the money to be able to pay for my rent. And at Western, there was a there's a short term zero interest loan. I knew I had my um, I, I had a job and so I knew I had income that was going to come in and so it helped hold me over for a month to be able to help me at least get from month to month at that time in my life.
0: I served as a judge for a scholarship competition up at Western for a couple of years, and I will wholly endorse her comment that the first 30 seconds of the application matters. Um, I didn't have thousands to review, but I probably had dozens to review, and frankly, Based on that first impression, I put them in varying piles. And then there were things within the meat of the application that could move it between piles. But yeah, put your best foot forward. And I loved her uh, recommendation to start your essay with a hook. I'm thinking back about my college essays, and they were probably boring. Mm -hmm. I also want to share a quick scholarship story. When I was a senior in high school, a buddy of mine and I were applying for scholarships. And he encouraged me to apply for this scholarship. That was a local nonprofit with him. And so I did. And then I won the scholarship and he got nothing. I
1: felt felt terrible. You should, you should just out of the blue, send him a little bottle of bourbon or something and just be like, you know, thank you for that.
0: Yeah. Maybe I should send him a check for half (laughs) the scholarship.
2: I was going to say money would probably go a lot further than a bottle of bourbon.
0: So this week for our parenting topic, we're going to talk about your kids dating. And Mark's son, Ben Ben actually had this idea to juxtapose both play dates when your kid is little, which I'm in the midst of non-COVID times, and then actual dating teenagers, college and beyond. So uh, we've got links in the show notes to several articles uh, that touch on both.
1: When you have young kids, it's not just for the kids to meet one another, but I think for Amy and I, it was also so we could actually meet other parents. And now that we have kids who are in middle school, we certainly know most of the parents. And so really the kids are doing their playdates on their own. And so different rules apply at different times of of their age.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the playdates are essential to the development of the kids. And as a bonus, you might meet a new friend it may be awkward that first time you meet that other dad or mom to sort of ask for their phone number, um, especially if it's someone of the other sex. But I think it's a little bit like dating. Just take your shot. And not every relationship built based on a play date is going to last. Once you meet those people and you've had that initial small talk, you know you might just bring it up and say, hey, do you want to meet it on Saturday at the park with the kids? And then you can sort of feel out if this is something that you want to progress further with.
1: Yeah, Well, I got a funny story. When Lexi was in fourth grade, we went to the uh, parent night. And so this is where we got a chance to actually see who was in the class and everything else. And we heard this loud. I mean, it sounded like a bar at the end of the uh, at the end of the hallway in this elementary school. It was so loud with all these parents having a great time. And it was my kids classroom. And it was we walked in. And it was all these parents. We all knew one another and we were all, we had all become friends because we had met at so many play dates uh, over the years. And so uh, every time a new parent would walk in the whole classroom, it wasn't the kids that were actually erupting, it was the parents going, hey, good to see you. So uh, there's certainly a benefit that can come from getting an opportunity to meet your kids, uh, friends, parents.
2: Um, Nathan, I'm a little concerned that you're still passing out your phone number to people instead of giving a, a an email address or you know something else maybe your twitter handle or your insta account. I mean when I was doing this I was giving my fax number to other parents and we were faxing back and forth. So I'm just kind of wondering why you're giving your phone number and not uh, other ways to contact you.
0: You know, dads in their
1: 40s text probably. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right. Well, one one thing that uh, um, another really great way, if you are trying to find new friends for your kids to play with, what we have found is it's been helpful when we talk to our kids' teachers. To just ask, you know, who are some really great friendships that are positive and developing in a really great way within the classroom? And the teachers see that for six hours a day, every day, and they can help encourage which friendships we should help. And of course, it's not the teacher's job to be, you know, the matchmaker, right? You know, so that's not, that's not really what their role is, but they get a chance to see who they're having really positive interactions with on a day-to-day basis, with this, which is really useful.
2: And then as the kids get older and you start getting into sports, especially if you're doing sports outside of the school, mm-hmm. you're going to meet those parents that way too. And you're going to bring coffee and donuts to the 8 a.m. soccer match on Smith Road or the baseball game or whatever. Yeah. And so that's another great way to um, really start bonding because I we know a lot of families – and we didn't do this – but a lot of families who had kids on traveling teams – those families would travel together for weekends after weekend after weekend. Yeah. And they became really, really, really close. Yeah. Another thing follow up on the texting, Mark,
0: a tip that. I think that we came across by ourselves is in your phone contacts, you might put in Joe, but you also put in Johnny's dad. That way, when you're looking back at your phone in three months, you might not, (laughs) you might not know Joe's last name. So uh, when you hit that contact in there, put in their kids' names and, and frankly, put all their kids' names in it. It's something you can
2: reference later. You know, we still have, if you open up one of the cupboards in our kitchen, there are still on the inside lined with pieces of paper with names of kids and their parents, and their phone numbers, because that's where the f- phone used to sit. And so Annette had all of it right there, and it's still there today.
1: No way. Oh yeah, it's like
2: it's, it's like a museum.
1: <laughs> so we're talking about like playdates daytime. What about like sleepovers? Um, you know, I mean, because that, I don't know about you, you guys, but for us, our girls were kindergarten, first grade, when they had their first sleepovers, really when they were also ready themselves, too. Um, what about you guys?
2: Yeah, I asked Annette that question earlier today, and she thought seven or eight was about the time when the kids yeah. started doing sleepovers. And I think you're right, Chris. Uh, the The kids have to be ready. I remember we had a sleepover here once, and one of the girls about eleven o'clock came downstairs, and she was crying, and she said, I, "Can I call my dad? I want to go home," because she was yeah. just she was scared. She wasn't ready, and that was fine. The dad came and picked her up, and um. But yeah, I think that's super important, Chris, to to really um, be in tune with your kids and how they're feeling. I remember that there was, Allie went over to a play date and the next time the mom called, Allie said to Annette, I don't want to go back there. And we never asked what happened, Mm -hmm. but we didn't push her and we didn't make her. And we came up with an excuse about why Allie couldn't come. So you're right. Being really in tune with what your kids are saying if they act differently when they come home, yeah. look for the, look for the clues.
1: Yeah. And then trust your gut. Cause I know Amy and I, there have been, there, there are great kids, but there's just something that's just not clicking. Right. And so there have been times where we're just like, you oh, know, no, this is, this is a, a, a play date that we'll do in the daytime over at our house, maybe, or something like that. And we, and we just trust our gut until we maybe get to get an opportunity to get to know the parents a little bit better.
0: So, Are there things that you would want to know from a parent before you left your kid there unattended? Um, I've got a couple ideas, but wondered if you guys had any sort of protocol or things that you just wanted to make sure you were on board with, whether it was just meeting the parents or if there was anything specific you wanted to ask before before you left your kid.
1: I mean for us it was we wanted to know what activities they were going to be doing just which is a really I mean that's an honest question anyway and then the other one that was always a hard question to ask but was always well received was about guns in the house um that was yeah so those were really the two key questions for us
0: yeah and we have good friends who are in law enforcement and we knew and we just asked are the guns locked up and the answer was yeah. yes and and that was sufficient for us but i think in this day and age it's certainly a fair question and i would be hard-pressed to find someone to be offended by you asking that question. Yeah.
2: I think that um, when our kids were going over to people's house, we already knew the parents, so there wasn't really a lot of question to ask because we we felt we knew them pretty well. What we did, though, um, and this is a stretch of the word play date, but when the kids were in high school and they would go over to friends' houses, it, wouldn't, it doesn't have to be a romantic thing. It wasn't dating. It was just friends hanging out. We always asked our kids the question, will one of their parents be home? At least one parent be home. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're going to pivot here in a moment to when your kids are dating, but just a few more things I wanted to toss out there. Uh, Before you left your kid at someone else's house, you might want to ask who else lives there, if there could be grandparents or uncles and things like that. Um, If they're going to be playing outside, you might want to ask if the yard is fenced. Uh, If food is going to be served and your child has allergies, you might want to ask about what's going to be served and make make sure they're aware of that sort of thing. But I think the best way we found to get to know parents is just to invite their whole family to our house for a meal. And after sitting through a meal and, you know, having that hour, hour and a half with them, then I think we were able to know if we had any red flags or additional questions we wanted to ask.
2: I've got to say, Nathan, you're a way better parent than I am. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how my kids we, survived because we never asked about fenced yards or pets uh, <laughs> or dogs. It's like, okay, go have fun. See you later.
0: But this is all hypothetical, Mark. I don't, I miss the mark all the time on this stuff. I've got a wife who educates me on these things and reads the books <laughs> and takes the classes. So what you're hearing isn't necessarily from me, it's what I've heard and what I aspire to.
2: Gotcha. Fair enough.
0: So let's pivot to dating. And so, Chris, I don't know if any dating's going on at your house, but Mark may have the most experience with this. So, what was it like in your house when it finally came to the realization that little Allie or little Ben maybe had a boy or girlfriend?
2: You know, it's funny. I asked Nat about this as well earlier today. And um, <laughs> I don't know if Allie will, or Ben will hate me after I say this, but there was not a whole lot of dating going on that we were aware of. Um, ben had a girlfriend his senior year, which, you know, we knew. and um, But a lot of the hanging out with the one-on-one hanging out tended to happen at school. You know, they don't drive till they're 16, obviously, and we weren't crazy about letting the kids get in cars with brand new drivers. We would have groups of kids come over here or groups of kids go other places, but there wasn't a whole lot of dating. You know, we, we felt like they shouldn't date till the, they were at least 16. And I think that's a good rule to have, but we really found that a lot of their interactions were group interactions. Now, they may have been doing stuff behind our back that we have no idea, and I probably don't ever want to know what was going on, but I feel like a lot of it was just a bunch of boys and girls hanging out together, having a good time.
0: And Mark, having been around your house when your kids were teens, my sense was you guys had the fun house. And so a lot of the times the party was at your house on your turf, and that probably made it easier in those mixed settings with boys and girls.
2: It made it a whole heck of a lot easier. And that was very intentional on our part. We always had the, always had food in the fridge uh, that they, they liked. They knew the back door was always unlocked. They could just walk right in and they knew they were welcome there and that was something that we felt very, very strongly about, and it worked, and the kids liked being here, and our kids liked having their friends here. So that's, uh, thanks for bringing that up, Nathan, because that was a very intentional um, act on our part. It cost me a lot of money. I, I would, the kids would come home for lunch uh, at least three days a week, and Allie would come with four or five kids, and uh, I would occasionally get a note, Dear Mr. Bagley, we are out of Hot Pockets. Please buy more.
1: Best is we. <laughs> we are out of hot pockets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: This explains your affinity for Costco,
0: that you weren't that... feeding two kids, you were feeding 10.
2: Feeding 10 kids. Yeah, taquitos, hot pockets, um, anything that we put in the microwave. They they loved them.
1: Well, I was just gonna say we haven't gotten into any of that yet. And it's and it's it's been, I think, hard for Lexi as a freshman, and she actually hasn't had the, 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 the typical high school experience of walking down the hallways of high school and having the opportunity to really meet other people, new folks anyway. Um, she's seeing kids uh, virtually right now. Um, and she's making some friends and she's super social and it's working out fine. But uh, I think that this is sort of postponing any sort of I don't know, romantic feelings or whatever dating might might be of interest anyway at this point.
2: It's, it's a weird time. And I mean, there's so much going on with the kids at that age anyway, just with yeah. the hormones and the moods and the pressures and all that kind of stuff yeah. and throwing this dating thing on top of it. Wow. And I, I can't even imagine doing it in this digital age. It would just so, you know, Chris, t- stay on top of it. Keep those lines of communication open. Yeah. I'm glad she's asking you questions. I mean, my gosh, if she's comfortable enough to ask you those kind of questions, you are so far ahead of the game and so far ahead of so many other parents yeah. where the kids aren't comfortable coming. And I don't think my kids were that comfortable coming to us, probably more to Annette than to me. Um, but yeah, kudos to you. And, and Nathan, good Lord, in three or four years when uh, Ellen starts dating, you know, who knows what it's going to be like.
0: When she's 11, she's going to be dating? Is that what you're <laughs> insinuating? <laughs> So since I'm not there, I'm going to just tell you a little bit I learned from these resources that might help some of our listeners out there. Uh, The resources might disagree a little bit, Mark, with setting a hard and fast uh, sort of minimum age where people could start dating. Uh, They indicate if you make the rule with your kid, they're more likely to follow it. So I'm not saying let them do anything, but if you sort of have a conversation, be open about it and decide what the parameters are going to be, maybe at 15, they can go on double dates or maybe, you know, so just making sure that they're buying into your rules, they're going to follow it more effectively. The other thing is when kids are smaller, resist the urge to say, oh, that's your boyfriend or, oh, that's your girlfriend. It's not weird to them until you make it weird.
1: Yeah. So I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, me
0: too. As a parent, you should lay off on that. And the other thing is, as they get older, and maybe this is for when people are, you know, age of Chris's kids, focus on the friendship they're having. We understand that this person might, they might think it's romantic, but at that age, just tell them you're appreciative. They have a very good friend, someone that they trust, someone they enjoy spending time with, as opposed to just flipping it on. Oh, it's the romantic side of having a relationship. And then... Again, on a little more serious note, make sure you're talking to your teenagers about consent and what that means. If you teach that uh, topic to your kids when they're growing up, it will make a lot more sense to them when they're dating and in romantic relationships. Yeah. All right. This week on What Come Dads Recommend, we are going to share with you board games or card games that we like playing with our kids. We're going to tell you a little bit about the game, how it's played, and maybe approximately what ages it's appropriate for. So, Chris, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, actually, it's a new game we just got like a week ago. It's called Kids Against Maturity. Uh, Really great middle and high school game. It's by the folks who do Cards Against Humanity, any of your (laughs) parents who've listened. That is not a kid-friendly game. That is a great adult game. But they made one called Kids Against Maturity. And the idea behind it is that there's a common question card, like I looked in my closet and found, or another one is I was on the toilet and didn't have any toilet paper, so I had to wipe with... And then everybody has a handful of, of nouns, uh, which could be everything from um, the rock uh, to um, something a booger or something like that. So, you know, sort of silly stuff. And because you get to fill in the blanks, they're hilarious. So we, we really highly recommend the game for older kids who are OK with sort of some potty humor.
2: So um, since my kids are a little bit older, Ali's favorite game growing up was Monopoly. Shocking, right? And <laughs> count we, that money. Yeah, count that money. Um, we hated <laughs> we hated playing with her because she always won, and she wouldn't end the game early. We always had to play until no one else had any money or property, and she had it all. And then she would walk away, and she was like the victor. So Monopoly was something that uh, we did play. One that we enjoyed though as a family was um, Apples to Apples. And I'm sure that most everyone has played that game. It was, you know, it's uh, the kids have to be a little bit older, probably at least preteen, 11, 12. Um, but it's a fun game. It's wholesome. It's funny. It's just a, a good way to spend some time together. Yeah.
0: One that I like for younger kids because it's portable is Spot It. I don't know if you guys have ever played that one. but A uh,
1: standing game, yes.
0: Yeah. You get these little round discs and they've got a bunch of pictures on them of various sizes and and various outlines. And so you toss a couple of them out and you've got to spot the common picture that's on both cards. And so you can throw it in your purse, back pocket, whatever, and have that to keep the kids busy. And so I'm going to recommend spot it for the younger kids.
1: For us, you know, one thing that we found over the the winter break is just the benefit of a standard deck of cards. There are hundreds of games to play. And we play Cribbage and, of course, Go Fish and all sorts of other games. But I just did a Google search uh, looking for games. And we came up with Golf, which is a really fun card game where you basically have two rows of three cards. You're trying to get your lowest cards. If you pair up cards, they become zero Kings are worth zero, twos are worth minus two. And then after nine rounds, whoever has the lowest score wins. But because of those, uh, you know, the king being zero and the twos being minus two, there's always some sort of unpredictable change that happens in the game, which makes it really fun.
2: I grew up playing cards, and that was very important for us as well, Chris, with our kids. And whenever my mom and dad would come up to visit, my dad would spend hours, hours sitting on the couch playing uh, gin rummy with uh-huh. the kids, and in particular with Allie. So cards have always been really important uh, in our household as well. And a card game that we have played since the kids um, have been older, it's a game that my grandmother taught me and I've taught all kinds of people in our family. It's called Diminishing Bridge. And it's a, a bidding game and it's great fun. It's, it's thinking, it's strategy, it's um, kind of being devilish and trying to get people stuck with things they don't want to get stuck with. Uh, if you Google it, Diminishing Bridge, you'll probably find the directions, but it's a, it's a good one and it's a good game for a large group, especially if there is um, uh, a bunch of adults and there's alcohol involved.
0: One more game that my family likes, and I apparently there's a theme here because this is also sort of a find the item game. It's the Busy Town game, I Found It. And this is a perfect game for my family because all our kids can play it so there's a large board and it will say find all of the fire hydrants and so if you can picture a busy town book that's spread out over a huge board there's probably 10 fire hydrants to find and the other thing is it's another one of these cooperative games you're not playing against your kids you're playing with them trying to uh, move towards a common goal Thanks to our guest, Monica Matthews. We've got links to her website and her book in our show notes. Special thanks to our sponsors, Robinson & Cole Attorneys and the Mount Bakery Cafe.
2: You can email feedback and dad jokes to the show at whatcomdadspodcast at gmail.com. Our podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. New episodes are released each Friday. And next week, we will continue our focus on college
1: by interviewing Cesar Mesquita, who's the Director of Admissions at Western Washington University. We'll discuss traveling with our kids and on the Whatcom Dads Recommend, we will talk about kid-friendly meals we like to cook for our kids.
0: What do horses say when they fall? Help, I've fallen and I can't giddy up. How do parents lose their kids in the mall? Seriously, any tips you can give me are welcome. After an unsuccessful harvest, why did the farmer take up music? Because he had a ton of sick beats.